0: Hey, school is starting. Yeah, it's the parents dream, kids nightmare, right? So speaking of dreams and nightmares, how many of y'all have those at night sometimes? You're in the middle of the night and you have a dream or nightmare and you wake up and you think, oh my goodness, I'm glad I, that didn't come to fruition or man, I hope this doesn't come to fruition. And so our minds are subconsciously trying to solve problems that we're living and thinking through in life or we even try to Reinterpret or try to redo things back in life that maybe something was a, a living nightmare and we kind of go back to it and try to solve it and, and those kind of things. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at this idea of what does it mean to have an ambition and what does it mean to have a dream and do those dreams and things line up with what God has for us in our life. And so this morning as baptism, that's one of those things is people are standing up before and they're confessing their faith in Jesus Christ. And in confessing their faith to Jesus Christ, they're saying, my ambition is for the rest of my days to live my life so that Christ is exalted and lifted up high, that he's highly honored. And I know that, that that's all of us. If we've said yes to Jesus, that's our initial desires. that we understand as best we can how much God has forgiven and what he's placed before us, the life that is before us in Christ and through Christ. But the In our humanity, there's times where life catches up and we begin to add things to that that we think will add value and add purpose to our life. And not that those things are necessarily bad things or not good things, but that they pull our heart's attention, our mind's attention, our soul's attention away from our main ambition, which should be that of highly honoring or exalting Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in Philippians chapter 1 as we continue this idea of one And so this morning, what is your one ambition um, that you have? Here again, Paul is in prison, and uh, it's not prison like we normally think about it, but he's under house arrest so people can come and go and, and visit with him and talk with him. And so Timothy is here, and he's sending a letter. He's writing a letter back to the church at Philippi and thinking back upon the great relationships that he had with them and planting a church and starting a church and seeing people come to know Christ and just with fond memories about that. And so as he's continuing that discussion, that thought in verse 20, he's kind of reflecting now on in the next few days, he knows that he's going to be going before the judge and that he's going to be having to present his case for why he should be freed from prison. Because the reason that he's in prison is not that he's necessarily done something illegal. The reason that he's in prison is because he's preaching the gospel. And that people have complained that because of the gospel, because of people coming to Christ, they're not selling idols anymore. They're not buying idols anymore. That it's truly disrupting the community and the culture because Christ is coming in and changing lives. And the things that they used to pursue that would provide money and income, they don't pursue those things anymore. And so it's disrupting everything. And so they threw Paul into prison because of his preaching of the gospel, which isn't illegal. And so, But he knows that he's about to be put at the mercy of a judge And in those days, the judge is the one that determines whether you're guilty or whether you're innocent and what your punishment will be. So he knows in just a few days he's going to be going before the judge and presenting his case. And so as he's thinking about this idea of life and death and that he's kind of in this balance, this is the tension that Paul is living in as he's writing these next few verses. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, looking at verse 20. And in verse 20, he says, My eager expectation and hope is... So those are the very first words that he offers here in verse 20. My eager expectation and hope is, and he says a few more things, but in the midst of that, he says, I hope that in life or death that Christ is highly honored because of me, that Christ is exalted because of me, whether I die or whether I live. My ambition is, my eager expectation, my hope is that in my life or my death, when I present my case that Christ is highly honored, that if they convict me of anything, They convict me of the fact that Christ has been honored through my life or through my death. This idea of eager expectation is one is that his eyes, attention, our eyes, attention and affection are pulled in a way that we're drawn to it and that everything else could be going around us. But we're so focused in on this one object of desire. Everything else is around the world is passing by, but we're focused in on that and we're not distracted this way or that way our heart's attention, our mind's attention, our eye's attention is solely on this one object of desire. And in Paul's case, in this deal, his one desire is the exaltation and the honoring of Christ. So his eager expectation is his one heart's attention is that Christ is glorified and raised up. And the other part of this is hope, his eager expectation and his hope. Now, usually whenever we talk about hope, we have this wishful thinking that, man, I hope that I get an A. I'm not going to study. I just hope that I get it. Or I hope that $1,000 comes my way. I don't play the lottery, but I hope that I get You know what I mean? And so we have this wishful thinking about stuff, and that's our usual mindset about hope. But this hope is a hope that's assured, that it has been proven over and over and over again, a knowledgeable trust that we know with assurance that something is coming. So it's this, break, this breathless expectation that we know that it's coming, but we're waiting for it to happen. Because time after time, and so God has proven himself over and over and over again. And so we have a knowledgeable trust that the things that he has promised in the past have come to fruition. So why shouldn't the things in the future come to fruition? Because he's continually been the one that every time he's promised something, he's come, come forward and fulfilled it. And so here Paul is saying, my heart's attention my mind's attention, my soul attention is eagerly expecting with a breathless expectation and a hope that's not a wishful hope, but an assured hope that Christ will be recognized and exalted. And that's our goal and our desire for us as followers of Christ, is that our eager expectation and hope is, whether in the way that we live life or the way that we die, that we should be convicted of the fact that in us, and through the way that we live life, that we can be counted guilty of exalting Christ. And that that's our desire. Now, we know as humans that that's not always our life. It doesn't always pan out that way. But, but our goal is, as followers of Jesus, is we're in pursuit of, and that when we're in the zone, that, man, we're in the zone and things are going, we are like Christ is oozing life. Is, and so people are seeing Christ in us. Those are those moments. that so you've been in a sports event and you're in the middle of a game or something and people are like man did you hear all the crowd cheering and you're like no it was just me and the basket it was just me and the football it was just me and whatever because you're such in the zone and that's what paul is saying is that as followers of christ there's going to be moments where we're so in the zone and our hope is so on that jesus that we're so focused on that that christ is highly exalted in us That that's our ambition what is your ambition There's an old song called Solid Rock, and some of you know that song, and we'll probably sing these verses as I say them. this first verse, just the first part of the verse, verse really hones in on what Paul is saying. It says this, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And so that our hope is, it's not a wishful hoping, it's a known hope, because again, what? Christ died and gave his life on the cross, and he fulfilled that promise and that through that we have life in him. So there's this knowing hope, a full hope. And then the second part, it says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Everybody's like, what's the sweetest frame? Sweetest frame is you walk by a house and you're like, whew, I could live there. You know what I mean? You've been to some of those houses and you walk by and you're like, drive by and you're like, I could live in this neighborhood. And what are we saying is that's something to attain to. That's something to get to. We have an ambition to get to that place. And so the author of this hymn is saying you can walk by those things that the rest of the world says, man, I need that. That would give me self-worth. That would give me self-value. If I lived in that house, I drove that car, I had this, then people would say, you have arrived. What this guy is saying, what Paul is saying, amidst all those other things, yes, those are not necessarily bad, but... I don't trust in those things. I trust wholly. I lean wholly on Jesus' name and what he has done through the cross. That's why I have hope. That's my ambition, to not bring self-comfort and convenient to me, but to be recognized that Paul's dream and ambition was not to be in prison, his ambition and dream was to plant churches and to see people come to know Christ. And even because of that, even because he was obedient, he was in a place that he didn't think he would be. And the same is true for us, that life is sometimes going to stink. Even in the midst of being obedient to what we've been called to do, and God's going to have this moment where He just kind of pushes pause and we reflect and like, why am I here, God, what are you doing? And in that moment we go, if nothing else, God, it's through this, may you be exalted. I'm not going to trust in this because my circumstances are always changing. But the one thing that is solid is Jesus. And I'm standing on this, then this is my ambition. Because if I'm standing here, then Christ will be exalted in my life and even in my death. So what is your ambition? Look at verse 21. As Paul's still kind of contemplating this thing of, hey, my my eager hope and expectation is that Christ will be exalted. But I also want to be free. That's another ambition. I want to be back. With my friends in Philippi, then look at verse 21 as he's contemplating this going back and forth in this tension. You can imagine he's just kind of, he's there, he's going through this stuff in his head. Here's my here's my case, here's what I'm going to present and, and talk about. But he understands that, listen, the judge could say, you're free, or the judge could say, executed. And so the tension and the just the pressure that he's in, and then look what he says in verse 21. For me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. Paul is saying my reason for living is Jesus. My resource and source and motivation and energy and power for living is Jesus. For me to live is Christ. And so Paul is kind of in this moment, he's thinking about life or death. And he's even saying this idea as a Christian that if he does die, that's gain. He's not losing anything. He's actually gaining. Actually, for us as children of God, we're actually in the Father's lap, and we're in his presence, and so we experience what we hope for. So there's actually a gain to that. But Paul is saying, whether that's there or not, I am living for Christ. And so he's my resource. He's my energy. He's my motivation. He is life for me. Now, let's be honest. As we think about this, most of the time for us, Again, because we're human, this is a journey. For most of the time for us, it's for me to live as Christ, plus I'd really like to be rich. For me to live as Christ. Man, that girl's good looking. For me to live as Christ, plus God, I really want this job. If I have this job. For me to live is, God, if I just live in this neighborhood and I have this and I have this, this, and this, and this, uh, and that's our human nature. And what Paul is saying to us is those things aren't necessarily bad, but in those moments where we pursue those things and we lose our focus and those things become our resource and our energy and our motivation for getting up, they will fail us because they are like a vapour there ever, ever been that time where you thought, hey, man, if I just had X or if I just was in a relationship with so-and-so or if I just attained this job or this position or this whatever, and you get there and you grab it and you think, man, and maybe for a minute, maybe for a day, for a week, and then the luster's gone. This is that principle. Our ambition as followers of Christ is that he would be honored. And those things of life that we attain to, they're not necessarily bad things. But if they turn our heart's attention, our eager expectation away from the cross, then we begin to worship. We begin to bow down. We begin to do things and we're motivated to pursue those things and not make Christ highly honored and exalted. Too many times our ambition is for me to live as Christ, but many times our reality is for me to live as Christ, but there's these other things. And again, that's all of our journey. That's all of where we're at as we're sitting here thinking, like, this week, you know, you got this and that week. And so this is that constant tension that we live in as followers of Jesus that are human, which are all of us, is that there are going to be things, there's going to be apples, there's going to be cars, there's going to be houses, there's going to be stuff that looks shiny, and you're like, in this moment, it distracts us and we pursue it. And maybe, maybe we get it or we get close to it and we're like, we pause and we're like, this is not my reason for living. It's not the thing that motivates me. It's not the thing that resources me. Jesus is. So our reality should be that, living in that tension. We we have this thing that we filter life through when we make decisions, and we have two filters that we can make decisions through. One is is a quality of life filter, or the other filter is a gospel filter. Now, the gospel filter is Philippians 2, 4. It says 2, 3, and 4 that when I look at others, I see them as above me. I see them as their needs are more important than my needs. I will consider others before I consider myself. That's the gospel filter. The other filter that we have a tendency to use is my quality of life filter. Is this going to make my life better? Is this going to make me more medicate. Is it going to medicate my life? Is it going to medicate my pain? Is it going to perceive me? Is it going to raise me up in the eyes of others so others will see me differently? And so we have this perception, especially in American culture, of a perceived quality of life. That it's a house, white picket fence, two and a half kids, two cars, and all this stuff. That if we have this, if we attain this, then that will give me a quality of life and I will have reached my ambition and everything will be okay. But nowhere in here does that say that that is the quality of life that we're pursued, that we're to be pursuing after. That the quality of life that we're pursuing after, the filter by which we do life is the gospel and that once we have said yes to Jesus, my life is not about me. My worship choice and all that, that is not about me. Everything that I'm about is others so that others can see Jesus in me and they want what I've got because I am free from pursuing all that junk. I don't need it to give me worth and value. I don't need relationships. I don't need the money. I don't need the house. I don't need it because I have the and that is where my worth and value come. Now listen, do we want those things? Yes. <laughs> Cuz if I come home day after day and I don't have money, my wife's going to say, "Get out." Right? There's practical stuff. So I mean, again, this is that tension that we live in, but asking that question of how much is enough? how much is enough because what is it and we filter it through that is it, it's about the gospel is it about for me do i need 5 TVs or could i help feed a family those kind of questions that shows that God's transforming our heart our problem is that we want to say that Christ is my life but so many times it's Christ is my life but and we have these other things what what are you pursuing What are you pursuing? What's your plus right now? I mean, I I know we're in church and we sometimes like to pretend that we've got it all together, but I'm telling you, all of us have pluses. Some we easily add on and off, but we all have pluses that we add to this. For me is to live as Christ plus what? He continues on with this thought, with his reality. Look at verse 22. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work. In other words, he's going to keep working. He's going to keep planning. And he knows that good things are going to happen. He's excited about what the possibilities are. And I don't know which one to choose. Verse 23, for I'm torn between some of your, some of your versions or translations will say hard pressed. And so this idea of hard pressed or torn between is, is that he's literally, he's, he's giving the image of I'm walking this path and that the walls are wide at points, and I could have turned around, but now I'm at a place where I'm hard-pressed, where there is a narrow way, and that I'm so hard-pressed by these walls, I can't turn to the right, I can't turn to the left, I cannot turn around. The only way that I can go is go forward. So here I am in this place. I'm hard-pressed between the two, but the only thing I can do is move forward. Now, my desire is I long to depart to be with Christ which is far better. And again, this idea of to to depart and this longing is, how many of you have been camping before? A few of you. And when you go camping, you go camping not for the whole time, but for a little while. And then once you're done camping, what do you do? You pick up and go home. So this idea of depart is literally to loosen the tent pegs and the strings, to loosen them so you can depart and go home. So here Paul is saying, I long to pick up the tent pegs of this little season we call life, because I long to be with Jesus for eternity, but here I am still tinted, pegged down. The other idea part of this is that his, his ship is tied to the moorings, and so that he would long for the rope to be untied and to push out to sea and to experience the fullness of what it means to be a ship at sea, but he's still tied to the shore. So here Paul is saying, look, I've got some, there's I have a great hope of what it's going to be like to be in eternity with Jesus. I long to depart, to move up these tent pegs, and to be there. And I'm torn between those things. I'm hard-pressed. But the only way that I can go right now is I know that God is moving me toward. It's not my time. So I know that as I present my case that things are going to be. And so I'm moving forward in the direction that it has for me. This is my reality. I know what would be easiest, but here's my reality. I will remain... Verse 25, since I'm persuaded of this, that I'm hard-pressed and going in this direction, I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress in the joy and faith. Literally, I will walk hand-in-hand with you. I will remain and continue with you. He's using two words in in the original language that have a similar sounding, manine and paramanine. I will continue to walk alongside of you. So I will grab your hand in faith as your brother as your father in spiritual things, I will grab your hand, and I will walk with you, and do this journey with you. And it's again it's an image that Jesus gives us that He will walk with us, He will never leave us, He will never forsake us. And Paul is saying, We've begun a journey together, and I know that God is going to provide, and when I come back and I'm with you, I'm going to be walking with you and giving you assurance that you're walking in the right way. And as he started in verse twenty, he says, My eager hope and expectation is that that in the midst of life or death that that um, in the midst of this, that Christ would be exalted. Then he comes back around to verse 26, the end of our study here, and he says, so that when I do come back to you, that you're not boasting in the fact that I was released from prison, but when that I come back to you, that you may boast in Jesus Christ. And he may be bound so that you may worship and you may see that God is truthful and that he again fulfills his promise and that we have a hope that's not a wishful hope, but it's a knowledge based foundation. True. It will not change because God will not change He's time after time after time has given us a promise and fulfilled it. And this promise that we have a hope and that if we live life as an ambition of exalting Christ that God will always work out a situation, maybe not to the way that we think it would, but even in that, he will exalt himself, because it's not about me. It's about him. And so as we grow in our walk, as we do life, life is going to stink sometime. And you're going to end up in situations, you're going to end up in circumstances that you're going to want to ask God, what in the world is going on? And it's a great time for us to pause and say, God, whether it's life or whether it's death, I pray that the one thing that I'm known for, that the one legacy that I have, that my one ambition, my one hope, my preferred future, my business plan is that everything else can go to kaput. But the one thing that I want my life to be known for is that Christ is highly honored and exalted through me. That I lean not and trust not on any other sweet frame or anything else, but totally and wholly I lean on Jesus' name. Let's pray. One of the things about... Um, Chris Norton's story that I want to tell you about. There's a guy named Chris Norton. And uh, Chris, his story is a few years old now, but I was reminded of it not too long ago. And Chris is someone that he had a dream. He had an ambition. And his dream and ambition was to play college football. He's 18 years old. He got a scholarship. He's playing football, and things are going great. He's moving up, and he's halfway through the season. His parents get to come watch him play. It's one of the first games that they get to see him play in college. And so he's excited. This is his deal. And the first kickoff, he's running down. It's right after halftime. He's running down the side. He's the outside guy. And he says, as he, as he describes it, he says, I see the hole beginning to open up. And so as I see that hole, I know that this is where the guy's running through. So he makes that break and he's running in. And he's like, I know exactly what's going to be happening, where it's at. And he sees it and he makes that leap. And as he reaches out, he grabs him and wham, the guy comes down. Other guys jump up and He's excited inside. He's like, yeah, I can't wait. And he gets up to push up and he can't move. And in that moment, he realizes something's wrong. His power, his ability to get up is gone. Matter of fact, he finds out over the next 24 hours that his C3 and his C4 vertebrae are shattered and that the doctors give him a 3% chance to walk to ever walk again. Matter of fact, he was a few days in, and he said, you know, that there was a point where they had already told me this, said, hey, Chris, you're never going to walk again. You have 3% chance of even feeling anything below your neck. And at one point, he was in there, and he's kind of depressed and thinking about it. And he said, all of a sudden, he felt like, hey, my foot wants to move. And so he tried to move, it. it wouldn't move and all that. And he told the doctor, doctor, I have this feeling that, that my foot's about to move. And the doctor came in and said, look, Chris, you're never going to walk. You have a 3% chance to have feeling. You are never going to walk. So you can imagine, 18-year-old, that's not his dream. His aspirations were all these different things. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have a career, all this different stuff. I want to play football and enjoy that. All of a sudden, in an instant, it's gone. But in the midst of all of this, he began to ask him questions and struggle through this. And he met someone in the midst. And even in all of this, before he was about to get out of the hospital, this, he said this 12-year-old-looking doctor from Montana, came in and said, Chris, have you ever met anybody from Montana? No. Listen, here's what we teach people in Montana. You can do anything you want to do. You can do anything you want to do. Of course, here he is. He's been told I have a 3% chance to walk. I have a 3% chance to feel anything. And so he had to choose, which voice am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to the one that tells me, Chris, you're never going to do anything, or the one that says, fight the good fight? And so he chose to fight the good fight. Well, after a few years, uh, he decided, hey, my goal is I'm about to graduate college. My goal is to walk across the stage. And he begins and he gets to that point. He's able to do that. And uh, so I want you to watch just a little bit of his story as we close out our time here.
1: Finally tonight, America Strong, the incredible moment at one wedding, the newlywed bride and groom and the walk that so many thought would not be possible. Chris Norton, 18 years old, a star freshman football player at Luther College in Iowa. October 16th, 2010, his life would change in an instant. During this play, Chris suffers a catastrophic injury. When I was laying there on the field, it just felt like someone just turned the power off to my body. The accident fracturing his neck, compressing his spinal cord. Doctors tell him he has a 3% chance of ever walking again. Grueling physical therapy every day, first moving just his left foot. A little farther. Been practicing standing up, taking steps one by one, determined to walk again. Come on, come on, buddy. Come Treating on, the physical buddy. injuries and the emotional ones on, as well. I was concerned because I didn't even love myself, so how is someone else going to love me? Worried about his future and finding a mate, and then a realization. I don't need to walk to be happy, to be fulfilled, and to make a difference in this world. Like the things that matter most have nothing to do with your physical ability. Then he would meet Emily. I see Emily crossing the street, and I was just in awe. Four years after that football injury, the day before graduation, Chris proposes to Emily. And the next day, he gets out of his wheelchair to get his diploma, the audience on their feet, and three years later, a new plan to walk Emily down the aisle. We made the decision that with the wedding walk, we're going to do this together he would practice wearing his wedding shoes. And then it was time. Chris, you're ready to kiss your bride. Holding him up during the vows, he then gets up again to walk down the aisle as husband and wife. Defying great odds. We all face adversity. We're all going through challenges. Yeah, you can see my challenges, but everybody else's challenges you can't see. It's just how you can rise back up after getting knocked down incredible message and you can see more of
0: Paul was in prison it wasn't his dream it wasn't ambition but he used it as a moment to reflect and to reset and to ask the question is Christ exalted in me one of the things about Chris's story that they didn't show here is that they came to faith in the midst of this him and Emily came to faith and that was the question that he had to deal with is god. What is it that you want to do with me because now that i'm yours my main ambition My main goal my main desire is that you would be exalted And So his message is is that he turned my pain Into my passion he turned my mess into my message And So the same is going to be true for us is There's going to be moments of life where it seems like everything has fallen down around us And in those moments where we're forced to pause as ask, is christ My main ambition is christ my main purpose because in the midst of that it changes your outlook It changes your perspective Begin to ask god. What is it that you want to do in and through me even in maybe the most painful situation maybe in the most Last place that I thought it would be god. What are you doing? And what are you going to do through me in that? Let's pray together Father I do thank you That you understand our pain you understand our mess and you still love us in spite of us. Father in that here we are this morning and many of us here have said For, to me to live is Christ. And that's, that is our desire from that moment that we said yes to you, from that moment that we said yes to baptism and that that first step of obedience, that father that our heart's desire is to bring you glory and honor. And fame, but so easily we admit that we add other things that we think will bring some other purpose or some other pleasure or some other meaning and worth. And every single time they are fleeting and they leave and they're gone. And only you remain. For me to live is Christ. May that be our heartbeat. Maybe that be our passion. Maybe that we may we be so hard-pressed that we can't turn to the right or to the left, and that we can only move forward in that direction of you and you alone. That our eager expectation and hope will be you glorified and you raised up. It's in your Son's name.